KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah, and this is Ezra Beck. I was listening to two of the shiurim that we sent earlier this week, and I have to admit that I was shocked by the quality which surprised me. I thought we had done better quality, and I'm pretty sure the problem is myself. The actual recordings were much better than last week, but when we encoded them, into MP3 format, or to send over the internet, I made a mistake. And uh, that's why you had this really strange sound effects in the background. It sounded as though, particularly my own chair on Tuesday, sounded like I was delivering it from underwater in an aquarium. So I wish to apologize again, again, for the quality of the shirim. We are actually getting better, even if you haven't yet heard it. And we will continue to get better, especially after we go in and buy new equipment, and handle the technical details better. Today's shiur is in Parshat HaShavua and will be given by Mrs. Yael Ziegler. Mrs. Ziegler has been teaching Tanakh here in Eretz Israel for many years and we're very pleased to have her today giving the shiur Parshat HaShavua. After the shiur, I'll be back for the Halacha Yomit. This week we begin reading Sefer Shmot, um, and uh, I'd like to discuss today some of the larger themes in Sefer Shmot. Um, generally, it's accepted that when we talk about Sefer Breshit, we're talking about the story of individuals, individuals who become a family. Uh, the family creates a relationship with Kadosh Baruch Hu, and, um, and this is all part of the story of the family of Avraham, which is the story of individuals, whereas it's generally accepted that Sefer Shemot is about Am Yisrael. It's about the beginning of a nation, the beginning of uh, the creation of a nation that develops a relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu as a nation rather than a relationship with God as individuals. Um, so if, if we look at Sefer Bereshit, so what we're trying to examine perhaps is the idea of the creation of man, the idea of the creation of individuals. Um, oftentimes, Rav Soloveitchik turns to Bereshit Perak Aleph, or more particularly Bereshit Perak Bet, in order to ask the more fundamental questions, such as, you know, why was man created? For what purpose was man created? I would, I would uh, venture to say that a similar question could be answered by examining carefully the themes of Sefer Shemot, uh, the question being, why was the nation created? What is the purpose of the nation? What is the idea of creating a special nation that creates this and develops this, this special relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu? Um, when we talk about Sefer Shemot, um, and I'm talking about the whole Sefer, not the Parsha, um, it's generally recognized that we can divide the Sefer into three broad sections. Um, and again, I'm going to be drawing some broad strokes in this shear, so it probably is helpful to be following along with the Tanakh because we'll be looking at some of the larger um, sections in Sefer Shemot. Um, the first section of Sefer Shemot is clearly Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the story of the exodus from Egypt. Um, and it seems to be rather uh, self-evident that the first 15 prakim, the first 15 chapters of Sefer Shemot belong to the section. We begin with the slavery, the hardship, the persecution of Am Yisrael. And, of course, it culminates in the great Shirat Hayam, the Song of the Sea, sung by Am Yisrael after the Egyptians drown. 
in, um, in the Yamsuf, in the very sea that a moment before had miraculously allowed the entire Jewish nation to pass through it unharmed. And that's really the culmination of the section in Perak Tetvav, in chapter 15. Um, broadly speaking, the next section of the book is occupied with Matan Torah, with uh, the divine revelation which accompanies receiving the Torah at Sinai, um, and the laws and the covenant ceremony, the, the Brit, uh, which, which also attend this seminal event. The story of Matan Torah begins in Perak Yud Tet, and it's, it, it ends in Perak Um uh, it, it, of course, should be noted that we've just skipped three prakim. We skipped uh, Perak Tet Vav, Tet Zayin, Yud Zayin, and Yud Chet. That would be four prakim. So we just, um, in, in broad strokes, we saw the section so far of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the section of Matan Torah, but uh, along the way we skipped several prakim. Um, uh, no, that would be Tet Zayin, Yud Zayin, and Yud Chet. Uh, three prakim we skipped. The final section in the Book of Shemot is um, focused on all of the details of building the Mishkan and preparing for its use, its proportions, its dimensions, the materials, the kalim, the vessels, the, the priestly garments. Um, this section itself, which begins in Perak Kafhei um, and ends in the very last Perak of Sefer Shemot, Perak Mem, um, is broken into two parts. Um, by the story of the Egel HaZahav, the story of the golden calf, after which the command to build the Mishkan is executed in, again, um, great detail, and seemingly, to some extent, superfluous detail. Um, now, I think that, that really, from, um, uh, from a lot of perspectives, I think it makes a lot of sense to have these three larger topics constitute the, uh, the, the makeup of Sefer Shemot, the Ramban, in his introduction to the book, actually addresses the question of the different, of these three major topics in Sefer Shemot, and he says as follows, he says in his Hakdama, ha-galut nishlam ad yom shuvam el mekomam ve'el ma'alat avotam yashuvu. He says the galut, which is, of course, what we're trying to um, what we're trying to leave in Sefer Shemot, the exile, the the state of um, persecution. He said it's not really over until they return to the previous um, status of their forefathers. And he says ukshayatsumi mitzrayim. And when they left Egypt, even though they left the house of slavery, they're still thought of as exilees. Because they were in a land that wasn't theirs and they were confused and wandering around the desert. So he says that when they came to Arsinai and they made the Mishkan and God once again placed his presence amongst them, then they returned to the previous status of their forefathers and then they were really thought of as redeemed. Now again, the Ramban is coming from the perspective that uh, Sefer Shemot is like Chazal say, Sefer HaGeulah, it's the book of redemption. Um, and the Ramban maintains that the Geulah from Mitzrayim, the redemption from Egypt, is not complete without 
first of all Har Sinai, which is of course where we uh, encounter God in 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 this very intense way, and then of course um, uh, the building of the Mishkan, in which God returns to dwell amongst them. Only then is the redemption complete. And generally, I think that this approach is correct. We have the sense that Yitzhak Mitzrayim cannot be separated from Matan Torah. This is, of course, highlighted every year by the, the mitzvah of Sfirat HaOmer, where we link the story of, or the events of Yitzhak Mitzrayim to Matan Torah, with the obvious message that physical freedom without spiritual commitment is uh, totally meaningless for us as a people. And, of course, one could take this one step further and, and, and claim that the necessity to perpetuate the Harsinai experience, the meeting, the encounter between man and God at Harsinai, leads to the building of the Mishkan, the place where man receives God's revelation every day. Um, and yet, I, I think we're still left with several questions, which perhaps, um, if we examine these questions more closely, we'll be able to get a deeper insight into the meaning of the, or the larger meaning of Sefer Shavuot. Again, with an eye towards answering the question that I posed at the beginning of this year, which is, for what purpose was Am Yisrael created? Why do we have this creation of this special nation? Uh, which is, I think, perhaps the question that should be underlying Sefer Shemot. Um, the first question that I would ask is, particularly with regard to the, the, the topic of the Mishkan. While the topic of the Mishkan, I think we're accustomed to finding it, or the building of the Mishkan, we're accustomed to finding it in, um, in Sefer Shemot, perhaps one could say, perhaps one could claim, um, that it would have made more sense to put it in Sefer Vayikra, in the same book as the Laws of the Sacrifices, um, which, of course, culminates with the dedication of the Mishkan. In the first part of Sefer Vayikra, we have this, the Korbano, the, the um, dedication of the Mishkan. Perhaps it would have made more sense to have the building of the Mishkan in Sefer Vayikra. Um, I think that we have to conclude that there's a very strong connection, a very strong thematic connection, not just between Har Sinai and the Mishkan, but between Yitzhak Mitzrayim, Har Sinai and the Mishkan, which I, I, I believe that the Ramban began to address, but I think that if we examine it more closely, perhaps we will find um, uh, an even um, more developed connection. Um, the other question that I think it perhaps is, is the most important question that we could ask after having outlined the, the different parts of Sefer Shemot is, what do we do with Prakim Tetzayin, Yudzayin, and Yudchet, with chapters 16, 17, and 18? And again, when I divided the book, I sort of skipped over these chapters. Um, they're, very, they're very short. It's, it's not, it, it doesn't seem to have any sort of internal unifying theme. We have in these chapters a series of complaints from Am Yisrael at the beginning of their, of their journey in the desert. Similar, by the way, to those found in the middle section of the book of, Midbar, of Bamidbar, starting in Parakud Aleph. Um, we have a whole series of complaints, and our complaints here in Prakim Tedzayin and Yudzayin remind us a little bit of the situation of Am Yisrael later on in the Midbar, starting in, starting in Bamidbar, Parakud Aleph. And then we have the story of the war with Amalek, and then we have the story of Yitro and Yitro's assistance in the establishment of a judicial infrastructure for Am Yisrael. Um, Oh, I mean, we have several questions about these prakim. The first question is, is where do these prakim fit into the larger framework of Sefer Shmot? Are these uh, prakim part of Yitzhak Mitzrayim? 
Are they part of Matan Torah? Perhaps they're simply transitional chapters which don't rightly belong to any category, in which case we could say, and they don't even really seem to have any sort of unifying theme that enable us to say that they are themselves constitute any sort of unit. If so, perhaps we could say, well, these, these uh, stories don't really have any thematic role in Sefer Shemot, perhaps they simply have a chronological role in Sefer Shemot. These are the events that took place between the time of uh, Shirat Hayam, of the Great Song of the Sea in Perak Tetvav, until they got to Har Sinai. Now, that certainly is true about Prakim Tetzayin and Yudzayin. It seems to be uh, not true about the story of Yitro. Um, this is a very, I think, uh, a very well-known question um, in Perak Yudchet. Perak Yudchet appears to be um, a story which, which takes place after Matan Torah. Now, this is, of course, a source of controversy. In fact, the controversy already begins in the Gemara. In, uh, there's Gemara in Zvachim, and Daf Kuf Tetzayin Amud Aleph, where the um, there's a machloket about this question whether or not Yitro came to see Moshe before Matan Torah, as the order of the chapters suggest, or whether he came to see Moshe after Matan Torah, as the context of the story suggests. Because in fact, in Perak Yudchet, <coughs> in Pasuk Hay, it appears as though, if you look inside. Um, if you have an open Tanakh in front of you, if you look in Perak Yudchet Pasukei, it appears as though Yitro came to Moshe, Asher hu Sham Har HaElokim, and he was already there. Um, Moshe was already at Har HaElokim. This actually doesn't happen until Perak Yudchet Pasuk Bet. In Perak Yudchet Pasuk Bet, he leaves Rafidim, or Moshe and Amistar leave Rafidim, Vayavo Midbar Sinai, Vayachanuba Midbar Vayichan, Sham Yisrael Neged Hahar. Then they come to Har Elohim. That actually doesn't happen until Parakut Tet Pasuk Bet. Whereas if you look in Parakut Chet, it appears as though Yitro arrives at the camp only after Amisrael has already been camped at Har Sinai. Now this uh, this this problem is compounded with the. Uh, story of the creation of a judicial infrastructure, which, it, which appears more likely to have taken place after they've received the Torah. Um, this this uh, this problem of the lack of chronology of Perak Yudchet also seems to be indicated by Devarim Perak Aleph. If you look there, I'm not going to turn right now to Devarim Perak Aleph, but if you look in Devarim Perak Aleph, Sukim Vav and Tet, I think it becomes clear that um, the events of the setting up of the judicial infrastructure and the encounter between Moshe and Yitro that appear here in Perak Yudchet really should take place after the story of Matan Torah. And this, by the way, is also a machloket among medieval parshanim. While the Ibn Ezra believes that, in fact, Yitro came to Moshe after he built the Mishkan um, and uh, certainly after the events of Harsinai, and this parsha is out of order, and of course he holds Ein Mukdam Umilchar B'Torah, um, the Ramban, who likes to maintain the chronology of the Torah in the manner in which the Torah is written, is of the opinion that this parsha is in the proper place. In any case, though, um, I, I think that the, the Ibn Ezra and the opinion in the Gemara Zvachim, which suggests that, in fact, um, Perak Yudchet really should, should take place, or, or actually does take place, 
after Harsinai and therefore is out of order chronologically, it actually is a very compelling argument, which only compounds our question regarding Prakim Tetzayin Yudzayin and Yudchet. We said that there doesn't appear to be any internal unity among these Prakim, which deal with Amishal's complaints and, and a war with Amalek and, uh, and the judicial infrastructure, all these seemingly haphazard topics which are grouped together, which we suggested, well, perhaps it's not that they're just haphazardly grouped together because they constitute any sort of thematic unit, but perhaps they're haphazardly grouped together because they constitute a, chron- a chron- chronological um, uh, um, situation. They're, they simply chronicle the events between between Yitzhak Mitzrayim and Mamad Harsinai. Well, that doesn't seem to be the case either. Certainly one could make a good argument that that's not the case. And so, to summarize what we've said thus, for, thus far, it appears to be that Sefer Shemot has three themes which seem to be related one to the other. It's not clear what Prakim Tedzayin, Yudzayin, and Yudchet um, are doing in Sefer Shemot thematically. And by the way, even if, if we want to say that they need to be placed um, uh, somewhere where they are thematically, they, they, they are part of the larger theme of the Sefer, perhaps they'd be better placed in Sefer Bamidbar, where the Sefer is there in order to explain why Am Yisrael can't enter Eretz Yisrael in this generation, why this generation of uh, freed slaves cannot enter into Eretz Yisrael. Perhaps Prakim Tedzayin, and certainly the first half of Perak Zion could explain that just as Sefer Bamidbar does. So perhaps these Prakim, at least from a thematic perspective, would be better placed in Sefer Bamidbar. Um, I think in order to explain these, uh, th- th- this, these questions, these questions that we've posed, uh, we need to examine the themes of the sections that, we're, that, that, the, that we delineated previously a little bit more deeply. Um, let's begin by examining the first section of Sefer Shemot, and that is Yitzhak Mitzrayim. I think the, the, the question of what is the goal of Yitzhak Mitzrayim is a rather obvious question, which has a rather obvious answer. And of course, we're all inclined to say that the goal is to take the Jews out of Egypt so that we can begin our history as a sovereign nation, as a nation that is involved in a relationship with the Kadesh Baruch Hu. Um, but actually, when we, when we glance at the, at the story itself, this answer simply does not explain all of the drawn-out details, all of the complexities of the narrative. The plagues, the hardening of Paro's heart, the extensive dialogue between Moshe and Paro, the last-minute retraction of the Egyptians who again go after Amistel after they've left, culminating, of course, in Kriyat Yamsuf, in the splitting of the sea. If God simply wanted to get the Jews out of Eretz Yisrael, so obviously, why not just have Makkah Becharot. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't have taken, it, it wasn't necessary to uh, have all of the Eser Makot. Now, again, I mean, I think that many answers are given to this question, and perhaps one could suggest that Yitzhak Mitzrayim, that all of the Makot are meant to be a punishment for the evil Egyptians who do indeed uh, deserve to be repaid for their cruelty. Um, and yet, the Tanakh makes it clear, or Sefer Shemot makes it clear at the outset that there are two overt, separate, but related goals of the numerous miracles and wonders which are going to accompany the exodus of Am Yisrael from Egypt. 
Um, and if you look in Shemot Perik Vav, God makes this very clear. God speaks to Moshe in, at the beginning of Shemot Perik Vav. And look at what he says in Pasuk Vav. These are some very famous psukim. He says as follows. Lachena mor levnei Yisrael, ani Hashem, v'hotzeiti etchem mitachat siblot Mitzrayim, v'hitzalti etchem me'avodatam, v'gaalti etchem bezroa netuya, uv'shfatim gedolim, v'lakachti etchem li la'am, v'hiti lachem lelokim, v'hidatem ki ani Hashem elokechem, hamotzi etchem mitachat siblot Mitzrayim. God says to Moshe, tell Am Yisrael, Go tell Am Yisrael, I'm going to take you out of Mitzrayim, and I'm going to save you, and I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to redeem you with great judgments and with an outstretched arm, and I'm going to take you for me as a people, and I'm going to be for you as a God. And therefore, and here I believe is the key phrase, Vidatem ki Hashem Elokechem. And then you will know that I am God, your God, who took you out of this persecution in Egypt. This is the first goal of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. These events are meant to establish the superiority and might of God to his nation. Vidatem kiani Hashem. That's the goal of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And yet, there's a second goal, which is of equal importance, which is stated very clearly in the next parak, in Parak Zion. And here, it's in the context of God sending Moshe to speak to Paro. Right? Um, that's the beginning of Perak Zion. And he says, go and speak to Paro and, and, and take Aaron with you. And I'm going to harden Paro's heart. Look in Pasuk Gimel. V'ani akshet et leiv Paro, v'hirbeti et ototai ve'et muftai be'eretz Mitzrayim. I'm going to harden Paro's heart, and I will make my wonders and my signs very um, many in Eretz Mitzrayim. I'm going to make many wonders and signs. V'lo yishma lechem paro, v'natati et yedi b'mitzrayim, v'otseti et sivotai et ami v'nei Yisrael me'eretz Mitzrayim, b'shvatim gedolim. Once again, we have those shvatim gedolim, which seems to be an indication of the makot, with these great judgments. For what purpose? V'yadu mitzrayim k'yani Hashem. B'intoti et yadi amitzrayim, v'otseti et b'nei Yisrael mitocham. This goal appears to be of equal importance. And this objective is broader simply than the nation. It's a seems to have universal dimensions. I would, I would even claim that this objective is broader than simply the goal of Egypt knowing of God's might. Rather, this message appears to have universal dimensions. The exodus from Egypt is designed to demonstrate to the entire Gentile world of God's supremacy. And by the way, of course, this is um, this whole uh, goal seems to be precipitated by Paro's own words in Parakei Pasuk Bet, where he says, "Lo yadati et Hashem." I don't know this God, and of course, here we have God's words to Moshe. They're going to know who I am. The Adu Mitzrayim Kiani Hashem. But I think that these goals, perhaps, may be here, may be designed to encapsulate the very idea of the Jewish nation. Am Yisrael has both a particularistic role in its relationship with God and a universal role. On the one hand, the nation is required to forge a relationship with God, a connection with God based on its covenantal rights and obligations, one that is unique to Am Yisrael. On the other hand, Klai Yisrael's goal has always been, and, and we see it throughout Tanakh, to disseminate the word of God outward, the message of God's presence to the world at large. This message is 
formulated all over Tanakh. It's formulated very, very succinctly by Yeshayahu um, in his description of the Gentiles from many nations flowing to Jerusalem, flowing to Yerushalayim to seek instructions from the people of God as to what God's message is. Ki mitzion teisei Torah udvar Hashem Yerushalayim from the center, from Yerushalayim, goes forth the word of God. Um, and this idea, I think, is, is one that is perhaps first, first defined here at the beginning of Sefer Shemot. In Yitzhak Mitzrayim, of course, the message to the universe is conveyed passively through Am Yisrael, rather than actively by Am Yisrael. In any case, though, it seems to me that by using Am Yisrael to convey this message to Egypt slash the world at large, God is also communicating to Am Yisrael as a nation their essential role as vehicles of God's word to the Gentile world. And this, again, I think if I had to um, encapsulate this idea, I would say that um, that uh, Am Yisrael here, the nation of Israel here, is being told that they have two roles in this world. One is to, um, to themselves know God, vidatem kiani Hashem, that you yourselves have to know God in this very um, uh, profound way. And the other is to disseminate this idea outward. Um, now, I want to ask the following question. I think it's a question that can be answered in Sefer Shemot, and that is, was this goal attained? Does Yitzhak Mitzrayim achieve its goal of revealing to the world the idea of God via Du Mitzrayim Kiani Hashem of compelling the world to arrive at some sort of recognition of God? And by the way, I think if you just flip through the Makot, you see this word appears over and over and over. This idea appears over and over throughout the Makot, thereby corroborating the idea that, in fact, this is the purpose or the major purpose of the Makot is to um, convince the world, is to compel the, <coughs> the Mitzrim to uh, know God's presence. Look, for example, in Perak Zayin, Pasuk Yud Zayin, Bezot Teda Ki Hashem. In Perak Chet, Pasuk Vav, Liman Teda Ki Ein Kashem Elkeinu, so that you should know that there is no God like our God. Perak Chet, Pasuk Yud Tet, so that you should know that I am God in the midst of the land. Uh, look ahead in Perk Tet Pasuk Yudalid. It goes on and on. Look at Perk Yud Pasuk Vet Vidatem Kiani Hashem. And then, of course, throughout the whole section of Kriyat Yamsuf, over and over. Am Yisrael is being told, you will know, and, uh, and the Egyptians are being told, pr- pri- primarily the Egyptians are being told, all of this is so that you will know, vidatem kiani Hashem. Um, of course, in the second half of Shirat Hayam, um, what is described is the fear and trembling of the inhabitants of Canaan who fear an impending attack upon their land uh, by the Jews who have just who have just experienced this, all these tremendous miracles, right? We have Shamu Amim Yirgazun, Chil Achaz Yoshvei Plashet, Az Nivhalu Alufei Edom Elim Moav Yochazemo Ra'ad, Namogu Kol Yoshvei Knan. All of the inhabitants of Knan are trembling. They fear before Am Yisrael's impending arrival. And this, of course, seems to be an outgrowth of their hearing of God's 
um, uh, great wonders that he did in Egypt. So to some extent, we already have a sense that the goal of Am Yisrael in disseminating God's presence in the world has already been accomplished. Um, and yet I think that really the story of Yitro comes at the end of the, of, of the section of Yitziat Mitzrayim in order to drive home this point. What is it, in fact, that Yitro says in Parak Yidchet? Well, turn to Parak Yidchet and look at Yitro's great declaration to Moshe, beginning in Pasuk Yud. Parak Yidchet, chapter 18, verse 10, Vayomer Yitro, Baruch Hashem, asher hitzil etchem miyad Mitzrayim umiyad paro. Asher hitzil etaam mitachat yad Mitzrayim. Blessed is God that saved you from Mitzrayim and from Paro, who saved the nation from Mitzrayim. Look at what he says in Pasuk Yidalek. Now I know that God is greater than any other God. What, of course, precipitates this knowledge, this yidiyah, the wonders of God that he performed in bringing his people out of Egypt. An outsider here, Yitro, responds to what he perceives to be the obvious manifestation of God in this world, representing the fulfillment of one of the goals of the entire narrative of Sefer Shemot thus far. The Torah is illustrating an example, I think, of the ultimate success of Yitzhak Mitzrayim in the universal arena. Yitzhak Mitzrayim has the potential to generate recognition of God's supremacy to all the world, and even a Gentile can recognize God, or not even, this is part of the goal, a Gentile here can recognize God through the miracles which God performs for his nation. And then part of the idea of Am Yisrael as a nation here is being, um, is being fulfilled. And the question, though, I think remains, and this, I think, also explains perhaps the chronological problem of the Yitro story in Sefer Shemot. The story is, in my opinion, undoubtedly the culmination of the narrative of the exodus from Egypt. It's the epilogue to the first section of Sefer Shemot in which the question, was the goal of Viadu Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim being obviously um, uh, suggesting a more universal element here, Viadu Mitzrayim Ken Hashem, was this achieved? The answer is yes. Note the word yadati that is used by Yitro to make this unequivocal declaration of knowledge of God in the world. What about the other goal? What about the goal of v'yadatem kiani Hashem, that of B'nai Yisrael's knowledge of God? Do they also accomplish this goal as a result of Yitzhak Mitzrayim? In my opinion, that is the topic of chapters 16 and 17. Prakim Tedzayin and Yudzayin here in Sefer Shemot. If chapter 18 answers the question of whether the universal message was successful, these chapters address the question of whether the national message was successful. Here, however, the answer appears to be no. The theme in these chapters is that God has failed to, is that Israel has failed to know God as a result of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. What are their complaints here? If not a lack of recognition of God, a denial of God's presence in their lives. Repeatedly they ask, where will we get water? Where will we get food? They are convinced that they're going to die in the desert. They want to return to Egypt. And the failure of Am Yisrael in this section to absorb the lesson of Yitzhak Mitzrayim is underscored here by Moshe and Aaron's words in Perktet Zion Pasuk Vav. After they complain, Moshe and Aaron say to Am Yisrael, Erev vidatem ki Hashem hotzi etchem me'eret Yitzrayim. 
evening will come and you will know thereby of course implying that they do not know god also notes their failure look in pasuk yud bet shamati i'm in perak tzayin pasuk yud bet shamati tlunot bnei israel daber alehem lemar ben harbaim tochu vasar uva boker tispeu lachem vidatem ki ani hashem alokechem and you will know, once again, implying that they do not know. This is perhaps underscored also by Perak Yudzayin, Pasuk Zayin, where Amishel asks, Hayesh Hashem Bikir Beinu Im Ayin, is God in our midst or not? And that, of course, echoes Perak Chet, Pasuk Yudchet, where God says unequivocally during the course of the, um, of the uh, Makot, Leman Teda Ki Hashem Bikerev Haaretz. The, you, the point is, is that you should know that I am God in the midst of the land. In the very, uh, in the very next prakim after uh, the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, I'm Israel saying, Hayesh Hashem Bekirbeinu Imayin. Well, didn't they just see the events of Yitzhak Mitzrayim? How can they doubt that God is in their midst? How can they possibly question, question the, the possibility of God's presence? And finally, how can they be worse than the Gentiles who allow Yitzhak Mitzrayim to affect their recognition of God? It seems to me, and, and I, I realize I only have a, a minute or two left, it seems to me that the answer lies with the difference between the relationship that God demands from the Jewish nation as opposed to the Gentiles. In other words, what kind of yediyah is required from the Jews, and what kind is required from the Gentiles? The Gentiles are simply required to recognize God. They must acknowledge his supremacy, his greatness, his general presence in the workings of the world. And this they were able to do simply by witnessing the great events of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. But what does God expect from the Jews in their recognition of him, in their personal relationship with him as this special nation that is being created here in Sefer Shemot? God demands that the Jewish nation live with a constant awareness of him in every aspect of their lives, both mundane and significant, both sacred and profane. They're required to rely on God for their food, their water, their constant everyday survival. I'd like to suggest that on a practical level, due to the nature of human beings, the astounding miracles of Yitzhak Mitzrayim suffice for our expectations vis-a-vis -vis the Gentiles, but are insufficient for generating the type of relationship that we expect from Am Yisrael. The miracles of the, of the Makot and the splitting of the sea indicate to the world that God's presence is indeed a fact. They are not, however, an adequate basis for developing a relationship with God in which man is expected to perceive God in his everyday life. To put it simply, just because God performs dramatic wonders does not mean that he'll put bread on our doorstep and provide us with water in the desert on a daily basis. Bekerabharetz, yes. Bekerbenu? Is God in our midst, in our personal midst? Perhaps not. This is why the Jewish nation continues to question God even after the events of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Not because they don't believe in God's general presence, in as much as he has the ability to split the sea and bring plagues, but in terms of his ability, or perhaps more accurately, his desire to interact with them on a daily basis. And so we're left with a final question. How, when, and if do Am Yisrael as a nation ever attain this goal of Yediyat Hashem? Does Sefer Shemot create a vehicle through which Am Yisrael can attain the kind of Yediyat Hashem that is necessary for their creation as a nation, or that, 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 is, that defines the purpose of their creation as a nation? The answer are the final two sections of the Book of Shemot. The failure of 
The Jewish nation after Yetziat Mitzrayim doesn't end there. Matan Torah is designed to give the nation the tools to recognize God's constant daily presence in our lives through Tariag Mitzvot, through daily commitment, and the primary vehicle which can teach them how to achieve Yediat Hashem in this manner is, of course, the Mishkan. The Mishkan, which involves a Keves HaEchad Taseh Baboker Keves HaSheni Taseh Ben HaArbaim. The Mishkan involves a daily experience of worship of God. Every morning and every evening without fail, we bring a sacrifice. This worship introduces a new type of relationship between man and God. The experience of God's revelation in the Mishkan is not a sensational, dramatic, one-time event designed to make you latently aware of God's presence in the world, but a routine, constant service of God designed to integrate constant knowledge of God's presence in the ordinary exigencies of daily life. And so after the description of the Mishkan and the command to bring the daily sacrifices, we finally read of how Am Yisrael is going to achieve success in this arena, the very, very end of the initial uh, command to build the Mishkan, well, not the very, very end, but basically the end in Shmot Per Kaftet, in Pasuk Memhei, God says as follows, after you do all this, after you bring Kevaz Echad Ben Arbaim, Baboker and Kevaz Hasheni Ben Arbaim, Veshachanti Betoch Bnei Yisrael, at the end of Shmot Per Kaftet, Vehayiti Lachem Lelokim, here we have, I think, the key pasuk in understanding what brings together Sefer Shmot. And you will know that I am God who took you out of Mitzrayim in order to dwell amongst you. In other words, the message of Yitzhak Mitzrayim is so that the Gentiles should know that the presence of God exists in the world and so that Am Yisrael should understand that God took them out of Mitzrayim so that his presence should be in our midst, in our everyday lives. This is the backbone of the book of Shemot. And this ultimately in my opinion, is also the idea of the, the purpose of the creation of Am Yisrael as a nation, one that is, we are given the tools to fulfill already in Sefer Shemot. KMTT And this is Ezra Beck. I was listening to two of the shiurim that we sent earlier this week. And I have to admit that I was shocked by the quality, which surprised me. I thought we had done better quality, and I'm pretty sure the problem is myself. The actual recordings were much better than last week, but when we encoded them into MP3 format or to send over the internet, I made a mistake. And uh, that's why you had this really strange sound effects in the background. It sounded as though, particularly my own chair on Tuesday, sounded like I was delivering it from underwater in an aquarium. So I wish to apologize again, again, for the quality of the shiurim. We are actually getting better, even if you haven't yet heard it. And we will continue to get better, especially after we go out and buy new equipment and handle the technical details better. Today's shiur is in Parshat Shavua, and will be given by Mrs. Yael Ziegler, Mrs. Ziegler has been teaching Tanakh here in Eretz Israel for many years, and we're very pleased to have her today giving the Shiur Pashat Shavua. After the Shiur, I'll be back for the Halacha Yomit.